Afghanistan, Algeria, Armenia, Egypt, India, Iran, Iraq, Israel, Kurdistan, Lebanon, Pakistan, Palestine, Syria, Turkey, Jordan. Welcome to Radio Intifada. Voices from Calcutta to Casablanca. Voices of struggle. Voices for change. Bringing you news and analysis of people's struggles throughout Southwest Asia and Northern Africa. Brought to you by Swana Collective, KPFK, Pacifica Radio, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, and 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, and streaming live at kpfk.org. Collective here at KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. I'm in the studios with my uh, own collective member, Professor David Lloyd of UC Riverside. David, we are doing this show together. Uh, it's been a while since we have been online live, and uh, we are covering a um, subject that's dear and uh, very close to my heart. And... Um, and I'm hoping uh, that uh, uh, that uh, we can pull this off. I think we can. I'm sure we can, Nima. It's great to be back in the studio with you. And uh, let's introduce our guest, for whom it's very late in northeastern Syria. Yeah. Well, today, um, this week's program, we are uh, covering uh, or uh, covering Syria, but more specifically Rojava. Uh, the Kurdish administration in northeast Syria, and our guest is Bariz uh, Saleh Muslim. Uh, is the co-chair and board member and spokesman for the PYD Democratic Union Party of uh, northeast Syria. And uh, Bariz Saleh is live with us uh, on the on Zoom, and he's joining us uh, with. Uh, very, it's very late for him. Uh, it's a bit of a uh, 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 some some kind of uh, favor that he's doing for us, and <laughs> and we do really appreciate it, uh, Mr. Saleh Muslim, that uh, you could be with us this late uh, in the evening, and um, uh, we wanted to um, cover. Northeast Syria or the Rojava region and uh, get your perspective and what the current situation is and get some updates on the uh, the fight uh, and the tough fight that uh, the people over there um, are uh, putting up uh, against uh, uh, oppression uh, so, from all sides. So, so Saleh, welcome to the show. And I, I wanted to begin, since we're sitting here in Los Angeles, by asking you about how the uh, Joe Biden administration's policy on the Kurds in Rojava uh, differs from previous President well, Trump's. I cannot hear you. And of course, we remember that Trump cut a deal with uh, Turkish uh, Premier I Erdogan and left no the voice. YPG and the Kurdish civilians in the lurch um, in October 2019, so two years ago. Uh, allowing Turkish troops to enter along with Turkish-sponsored fundamentalist terrorists who committed, who committed massacres, massacres and, rapes and rapes on, on Kurdish, Kurdish civilians. civilians. Has, has Biden, Biden changed, changed that, that uh, accommodation, accommodation of, of Turkish, Turkish ambitions? ambitions? I 
I think we I have think to we repeat have to the repeat questions, questions we're having we some difficulty, difficulty uh, reaching. reaching. Uh, there is solid. Do you hear us? Yeah, no, I can hear you very well, yes. Okay. okay. So the question, so the question is, is that, that how, how does, does the Biden, Biden administration, administration policy, policy on the Kurds, on the Kurds in Rojava uh, uh, differ from, uh, from uh, Trump's? Trump's? who cut a deal with Erdogan and left YPG in a lurch in 2019, which resulted in occupation of Afrin by ISIS and ISIS-affiliated mercenaries. Well, yes. We seem to be having some difficulty hearing. Yes, can you? Yeah, go ahead, please. Yes, can you hear me now? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, uh, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to talk to you and my regards to all your audience. And uh, for the uh, Mr. Trump and what he has done, uh, nobody was um, can predict what he's going to do or to say, because as you know, maybe he removed some uh, ministers by Twitter. And uh, so... Uh, uh, this was uh, strange for us too, and uh, his decision for withdrawal from the uh, that area it was surprise for everybody, even for the American administration too. Uh, we didn't know that he, there is uh, some kind of uh, agreement between him and uh, uh, Mr. Erdogan. So I think it was uh, strange. But uh, after that, we felt that. Uh, even the withdrawal, our powers, I mean, from the border, our forces from the border to inside, it was a kind of agreement between him and Erdogan to do so, because they said, well, there, be, there wouldn't be any invasion or invasion at hand to, to your areas. And what happened, it was opposite. It was sudden for everybody. Uh, and of course, in spite of that, our people, they resisted for more than nine days. And then, uh, of course, when they found the resistance and the, our people are defending themselves, and then uh, they went, I mean, Mr. Pence, as you remember, maybe Mr. Pence went to Ankara and they have signed a um, ceasefire agreement between them. Um, just because of our resistance, because they were not expecting uh, such a resistance by our people. But since then, and Mr. Biden, of course, uh, as everybody knows, there are institutions in the uh, in the administration of the United States, and uh, of course, they are obeying these uh, institutions, and so so we are not at least we are not facing such uh, such uh, unpredictable decisions by the president and so on. And now we are uh, dealing smoothly with, uh, uh, with the Pentagon and also with the foreign ministry and so on. They have representatives around, they are doing very well, I mean, against those sleeping cells by Daesh and so on. And I think it's a better situation than before. At, at uh, as you know, I mean, uh, um, maybe, um, cooperating, I mean, against Taj uh, since uh, uh, 2015 uh, for a longer, uh, for six years or four, five years, there was, uh, 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 I mean, 
a mutual um, trust between two sides. I mean, between the Americans, um, I mean, soldiers and the American army and our people, our SDF. So I think um, now we are continuing this. I mean, building what was, uh, was uh, damaged by Mr. Trump till now. And I, I think it's okay now. Well, at the same, at the same time, time, Turkey, Turkey continues, continues shelling and drone attacks on Kurdish civilians in the enclave. And it's, and it's been, been weaponizing water, water supplies, I hear, in northeast, in northeast Syria, Syria, turning an already bad drought situation that contributed to the Syrian civil war into a into humanitarian, humanitarian disaster. So why, so why, why is Turkey, Turkey targeting civilians? And how, and do, how people do people live, live under these constant attacks by the Turkish state? Well, the Turkish plan was uh, to occupy the places till he and go to Raqqa and to south, uh, south, I mean to Euphrates. When it was stopped, I mean, they are still attending. And really there was uh, two ceasefires, one between the Americans and the, the Turkish side, we agreed. And so the second one was uh, also with the Russians, again, I mean. But uh, never Turkey has obeyed those uh, both ceasefires. Um, but since then, the, the attacks never stopped, I mean, by drones, by German Syrians, uh, and as you know, maybe our places are just not far away from the border, all the Kurdish villages and cities, so they are, they are shelling even sometimes by cannons also uh, to our side, shellings, I mean, every day. Um, and the, both sides, I mean, even the Americans and the uh, I mean, the Russians are keeping silent, I mean, even without any retaliation. And they're also, they are keeping us not to retaliate to them. So this is a problem, really, because they are blame, blaming us. Uh, but the resistance of the people in these occupied areas never stopped inside. I mean, Serikaniyat, Labiat, and Afrin still, they have... Uh, the people, I mean, around and living in the camps without, I mean, SDF, they are still, I mean, continuing their struggle. Uh, there is some um, operations, I mean, inside and uh, somebody, uh, sometimes, I mean, those uh, uh, mercenaries being killed and some soldiers even, so Turkish soldiers. So it's never stabilized, I mean, these areas. They are still, I mean, they have a conflict and they are fighting from time to time. And sometimes when they try to uh, to, to cross the, the lines, I mean, the ceasefire lines, also our SDF, which they are around, they are retaliating and there are many casualties because they never stop their attempts in, in many places, just like Tiltamar, uh, uh, like Anisa, they are still, I mean, doing this shelling uh, to evacuate these uh, uh, villages over there and even the cities. Maybe they have to have plans to advance more and more. Uh, but because the lines, I mean, for this uh, ceasefire, our people are retaliating. I mean, uh, democratic Syrian forces. No, no. And sometimes they have many, many casualties also. But there is, my question uh, was uh, more specific about Afrin. What is the situation in Afrin? We hear, at least I hear daily, 
uh, uh, attacks on the civilians, kidnappings, and uh, it seems that uh, most of the world is silent as far as it comes to Afrin. I mean, Turkey uh, occupied uh, Afrin, a peaceful city. There was no fighting there. There was no resistance, and is accusing the uh, the Kurds of threatening its security. But in turn. Uh, it's actually Turkey that's uh, threatening the civilians' lives and uh, and supporting the mercenaries in Afrin. What what are the hopes or the prospects for Afrin? Well, in Afrin also they are similar similar to they have made a lot of uh, uh, demographic changes. As you know, they have brought uh, uh, those mercenaries from Damascus, and so those. Uh, and the jihadists and so they put in the villages. But in Afrin still there are some people over there. I mean, maybe about 10% or 15% of the civilians, they are in, in the villages. But the problem is not that, they are continuing, but nobody's talking about because Turkey doesn't allow anybody to go inside Afrin, even from the journalists or from reporters or committees or investigations. And even uh, human rights organizations, they don't allow anybody because of that is a, is, is a kind of closed place. Nobody can go in. So you cannot have uh, some uh, thing, uh, any news from there. But from our side, um, we have still some contacts with uh, civilians over there. I mean, we have some organizations, I mean, maybe making the reports uh, uh, weekly reports and sometimes monthly reports, and we are around announcing what's going on in Afrin. But the problem is not there. Uh, the people of Afrin, which they, I mean, uh, uh, went out of Afrin, they are just standing by in some camps over there, just like uh, Shahba camp and uh, maybe some other camps uh, in uh, Tel Rafat and in uh, this area, Shahba area. They are shelling them too because they don't want uh, the people. We are talking about maybe 100,000 people from Afrin. They are just in refugee camps. I mean, uh, standing by Afrin in order to return back to Afrin. So they are shelling them in order to, I mean, just send them out. I mean, to be placed because Turkey doesn't like uh, refugees just beside Afrin waiting to return back to their villages. So the problem is in Tel Rafat, in Azaz areas and the bushes north of Aleppo, uh, there are daily shellings uh, over there, and also there is a, a drone attacks. And in, uh, I mean, uh, people of those areas, maybe the, also the civilians and those refugees being killed. I mean, in Tel Rafat and uh, those places. Uh, yesterday there there was an anniversary for the first anniversary of killing eight children in Tel Rafat. Eight children, I mean, by these shellings. Mm -hmm. So they are doing the same in, uh, in Afrin also. Thank yeah. you. Thank for you for so I, I wanted to, to sort of step back and try to understand what Turkey's aims are in, in this region. And I know that you were involved in negotiations between uh, the Kurdish uh, parties in Turkey and the Erdogan government up till about 2015. And, and as I understand it, they were quite promising negotiations at that time. But then the Turkish government withdrew, and it's thought that that was on account of the successes of the 
Kurdish-dominated HDP party in the elections that year. Is that your understanding of, of why there was a sudden change in Turkish policy towards the Kurds in Turkey and as well as across the region? And I, I wondered um, what you think that Turkish policy is in the long term. What are they trying to do? Are they trying to clear the region of Kurdish presence? Um, and what is this act- how is this playing out for Syrian Kurds? Well, uh, actually, it's a long story for the Turkish mentality. Uh, the Turkish says, I mean, famous word, which is uh, the best Kurd is the death Kurd. <laughs> so this is the problem, really, because they want to kill the Kurds everywhere, uh, just like uh, what they have done with the Armenians and Syriacs, I mean, in uh, one, one century ago. So they are trying to do the same with the Kurdish people. But the Kurds are too much, and they are spread everywhere. So, <laughs> so they are enemies of the Kurds. And maybe you have heard about the Ottoman tricks. I mean, these uh, conversations, and uh, maybe even my visit to Turkey and uh, meeting those, uh, I mean, the the officers in the foreign ministry, and so uh, it was a trick by them trying to just um, get us. I mean, to the the Syrian coalition. Mm-hmm. which Syrian coalition is taking the orders from them. They are Muslim brotherhoods, Khan Muslimin. So they were trying to connect us to them and to obey them. And of course, we said, yes, we can work with them and there is no problem. We are against the regime also. But those people, I mean, you are t- talking about which they are uh, the coalition, uh, they should respect the Kurdish demand for freedom for knowing the status, recognizing their status and so on. And they refused to do it. So this was. And then, of course, they had a plan after that. I mean, maybe dismantling plan or just uh, killing the Kurds in, in uh, 2014. And since then, there is a coalition, uh, uh, coalition in, in Turkey, which is a war coalition, I mean, uh, uh, RKP and uh, MHP and so um, they are trying to kill the Erdal Kurds so they have done the same in North uh, Kurdistan and also in our areas and they are attacking even uh, north of Iraq so it's, uh, it's one plan uh, they are trying I mean maybe clearly they, they, they have said uh, many times they are going to establish a new Ottoman Empire so they are showing even the maps and so uh, this is their plan. I mean, mm-hmm. by maybe they are trying to make uh, Erdogan a new caliphate of uh, of the Sultan. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. uh, I think that's, I think the, that's the ultimate, ultimate goal. goal. Yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah, of course, yeah, of course, you know it brings back uh, not not only Afrin and Kobani is under threat. Uh, Kobani is the town that uh, Kurds. Uh, the defeat of ISIS actually started the resistance of the Kurds and. Uh, particularly the women's uh, defense forces uh, in Kobani uh, beat back ISIS. But uh, you, you, Beristana, uh, you, you um, touched on the Russian role. But my question is maybe a little bit more specific. What is the current Russian stance in regards with uh, with North Sy- Syria with the Kurds, and um, do they have uh, an influence? Uh, uh, on on uh, on the uh, dynamics and on the on the SDF or the 
I know, uh, we, we, of course, uh, this is for our listeners, of course, the Assad regime uh, is heavily dependent on uh, Iran and uh, on Russia, but how is that playing out in northeast Syria as far as uh, the Kurdish uh, forces are concerned, the Russian stance and their attitude towards Kurds? Well, uh, we have relations with Russia since 2012. I mean, we visited them and uh, we were talking to them and they know the Kurdish issue and the Syrian problem from the beginning. And when they came in, I mean, to Syria in 2015, they came to protect the regime, Syrian regime. And they've done it and they succeeded to do it. Till now, I mean, even with our negotiations with them, I mean, um, maybe we have some, our delegation went to Moscow and here, maybe they have met uh, many times by SDF and even by the administration. I mean, the civilians, the political side of it, which is uh, Democratic Syrian Council. So they have met many times, but also till now they are trying uh, to um, maybe add us to the, to the to this regime i mean to to have a connection with the regime uh, and um, they are trying to implement the demands of the regime on us to be a part of them uh, just like uh, what they have done in this, the areas just like dara and other places uh, they are trying to do the same with us uh, nothing more i mean and uh, most of our people they dislike uh, the 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 Russians for that reason, because always they are trying to protect the regime more than to protect the people. Uh, and maybe you have heard many times, I mean, uh, their cars and so they were stoned by the, the people in our area and some other areas also, like their Zor and so the Arabs, they, they, they don't like the Russian to, to do something here. But recently, um, they are trying, they are trying, I mean, making some efforts um, to have a kind of negotiation between uh, the Democratic Syrian uh, Council and the regime also, I mean, uh, political discussions and so, and we welcome to do so, uh, but we are not sure, I mean, maybe they have even, they, they said uh, there is a kind of agreement between them and between the United States to do to find some solution for uh, our case here so thank you for thank that you for and i'm going to ask this one really quick because uh, i think david has one more question and we only have about seven minutes it's actually six minutes right now now uh, whatever happened to that trilateral agreement between syriac demand forces u.s and turkey on the security zone is turkey still trying to uh, expand that security zone and drive the kurds farther south uh, and uh, is is the Russian stance uh, or the Russian position uh, ag agreeing with that? If you can just briefly answer that, I would appreciate it. Well, this Turkey didn't stop. I mean, they are still dreaming to expand these places to go to more and more till uh, occupy all the Kurdish areas with uh, some Arabs also. So and Syriacs, Kurdish and Syriacs and Arabs. Tiltamer is mostly Syriac people, you see. So they want to occupy this area, Tiltamer, which is the Kurd uh, Syriac villages and the, the Syria. And the Kurdish people, I mean, 
uh, also in in um, uh, Isa and other places. So they don't, don't make difference. They have planned to expand to Al Raqqa, but till now they didn't. Do, they couldn't do it. I mean, um, to invade it more and more. But these shellings, daily shellings, and the mercenaries, they are doing the same. But the, our villagers and our people they are defending themselves. They, they don't want to leave their uh, villages. You see, this is one. The second thing, uh, there were some rumors because uh, maybe even the the Russians they were making propaganda. You have to to leave this area and give it to the Syrian regime or the Turkish invasion is coming. So mm -hmm. it was kind of uh, coordinating between them. One is uh, uh, threatening and the other one is just uh, trying to push, um, pull us from these areas to to put the Syrian regime. And of course, we, we said no. Thank you. Uh, we, we are ready to defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't leave. And uh, I think uh, maybe their plan has been collapsed now. Well, well, if I may say so, the, the um, Kurdish resistance and also the Kurdish revolution that's been going on in what we continue to call Rojava here, particularly in relation to women's situation and, and women's participation in the struggle. And again, the, the model of confederation that is based on Ojalan's conversations with Mary Bookchin. We, we've covered this quite a lot on, on the show and uh, I wanted to ask how that revolution is surviving the current conditions of, of extreme aggression by Turkey and how you think yourself about the social and political future for Kurdistan in the region. Um, could, could it, if I get, can be really optimistic here, could what Rojava achieved and I think is defending now be a model for the resolution of political conflicts in Syria and, and in the rest of this very diverse region? Or am I being just pie in the sky here? Uh, yes, of course. I mean, when we defending ourselves and we have plans and so, of course, we are dreaming solution, a democratic solution, especially in this area. Uh, and I think really it's a is a kind of example for a solution on in all Syria and uh, also maybe it's the first example in in uh, in the Middle East uh, because uh, what the, you have said about Mr. Uh, I mean with Bokchin and the others yes we are implementing the grassroots democracy in our areas and maybe you are, you have mentioned many times you said the Kurds but it's not only the Kurds yeah. it's the Kurds and Arabs and, and Syriacs we all together. And we believe that uh, we can live together by these ideas within the uh, the democratic nation, democratic nation for our areas. And this democratic nation is valid also for all of Syria, and maybe it could be example for the other countries also to live in. So, uh, yes, the, the women, uh, of course, they were leading, especially, I mean, the uh, uh, ISIS attacks, they came after after Shangal. I mean, all the women were, were angry and they had to defend themselves. So this was it. And uh, of course, I mean, they were leading the revolution and uh, for our all institutions and our parties and uh, in, in the area, we have 50% for the women and we have co-presidential system for the parties and all the institutions 
so the women can free because only the free men they can defend themselves i think so this is the idea and it's an example and the your last point which you asked about kurdistan yes kurdistan i think we believe we have four parts of kurdistan each one they can have their own solution and our solution is democratic nation in syria uh, maybe we have also a roadmap and even a constitution pro- proposed con- constitution for Syria, and we are trying. Maybe if there is any discussions, we will discuss it with the uh, the regime or anybody sitting in Damascus. So it's, uh, this is uh, our our aim, and we believe in it because of that. We are struggling. I mean, to get it. <laughs> <laughs> that is, Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh response appreciated and uh, thank you for being with us and uh, our urge our listeners to uh, keep tuned uh, to kpfk we'll be bringing more programs and uh, rezar saleh thank you for being with us this late uh, and uh, hope we didn't trouble you too much thank you thank you salah muslim it's been a real, a pleasure. real pleasure and, and uh, uh, we'll hope we'll to talk hope to, to, talk to, to you again you. and uh, thanks to our engineer wendell for helping us today and uh, Keep uh, tuned to KPFK. Afghanistan, Algeria, Armenia, Egypt, India, Iran, Iraq, Israel, Kurdistan, Lebanon, Pakistan, Palestine, Syria, Turkey, Jordan. Welcome to Radio Antifada. Voices from Kabul.